0: So all of that behind us, Acts chapter 4 verse 23, and being let go, they had been imprisoned for healing this man, Uh, being let go, they went to their own companions, the fellow believers, the Christians that were in the community, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they, the other believers, heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David said, this is Psalm chapter 2 that he's quoting, why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing, an empty, a hollow thing? The kings of the earth took their stand, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against is Christ and you know if you pause there and just think about all that's going on in the world right now regarding globalism and and the way that all of these great bankers and wealthy men and rulers and kings and prime ministers and presidents are making their plans to go a direction that's completely anti-Christ and I do mean in replacement of Christ right because their 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 idea is one world order. Okay, and I'll say a couple of things that often Christians don't think about. Like uh, God wants a one world order where He's the king, okay, and all of the world obeys Him. So what are they doing? They're trying to replace Christ with a man. They're trying to replace Christ's kingdom with a man-made kingdom. So all of these plans that we see going on is reflective uh, of trying to present an imitation rather than the genuine. And, and so, you know, in this, they have these plots. They have these things they do. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, right? And this is what Christ means, is the anointed one. There's only one Christ. You know, the Buddhists say, oh, you know, the Buddha was a Christ. And there have been many expressions of Christ. And Jesus was a Christ. Oh, what a false answer. Okay. There is one Christ. There is one who is anointed of God. And that is Jesus only. That's it. There is no other. So you're anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles And the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And, you know, as Evan and I were talking about earlier uh, today, you know, this idea of election and predestination and God's sovereignty, that's all very real stuff. Okay, The scripture very much promotes that concept. The difficulty is God is expressing those things from his place outside time in eternity, right? He's He is in the future. He is simultaneously in the present. He is simultaneously in the past. All things are the present to him. How can you ever wrap your mind around that, right? We've never experienced anything other than this brief little moment of the present. We think we can remember the past, Right? Then you talk to somebody who was there and recounts what you think you remember, and they've got an entirely different story. Right? There are things you missed, didn't know, all kinds of stuff. You forgot points, you weren't even in the location you thought you were talking about. From your memory. It's interesting how bad our recall is. You know. Some people are photographic and, you know, God bless them, they're super annoying. But anyway, you know. Point being, God is in the past. He's in the future. He's in the present. And so he can say of these things, no, this is my purpose. Right? Like Joseph's brothers who betrayed him and sold him off. And the summary comes in the end there, right? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. So as these make all of their plans, God just sits back and it literally there in uh, Psalm chapter 2 says he holds them in derision and he laughs. Right? It's a joke to him that anyone would try to exert themselves against him and his plans. Why? Because in the end, you walked perfectly into my plan. Thank you. Is what they're doing. That's what we're witnessing all around us. So Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles together with the people of Israel gathered together to do what your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal which is what had been done which raised such iry with these religious leaders they had healed a man grant more that we would be able to uh, to do these things, to speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They told us not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. Uh, accelerate the program, is what they're saying. More, bigger, you know, uh, more frequently, farther reaching. Let us do more in that name. It, it sounds like rebellion, Right. Because they're rebelling against the earthly leadership. But it's when you rebel against sin in obedience to Christ, it's not rebellion. Right? It's obedience. You know, the world screams rebellion. You know, insurrectionists, you know, somehow. You know, those that want to overthrow. No, we just want to be obedient to Christ. Just want to do what he has called us to to do when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and they spoke the words of god with boldness okay now um they were filled with the holy spirit did they speak in tongues no indication that they did they may have right hard to say uh, well, how do you know? The place was shaken. And they were filled with boldness. And they all spoke of, you know, the wondrous works of God. Uh, this is what happened previously, but also the accompanying speaking in tongues. Right? What was the promise of Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Stay in Jerusalem until you have been endowed with power from on high, that you will be filled with the boldness to be my martyrs was actually the word, my witnesses right boldly speaking of me to the point of even execution and the thread is growing as we're reading this here filled with the holy spirit weren't they filled with the holy spirit before people ask yes well how do they get filled with the holy spirit again Uh, because as spurgeon said you know we're leaky right you need to constantly be filled no you don't i think you do I I think that you were wonderful one day and pressure and time and maybe even, let's be frank, a little neglect leads you to be in the flesh. And you want to march around in your arrogance and say of everyone else that you're the one who's being spiritual and they're all the ones that are being worldly, but ask the people closest to you (laughs) because we're in the flesh. We need to constantly be being refilled this is what the scripture says there are those that want to teach about the holy spirit no one time filled with the holy spirit and there you you got that check that box off and move on okay there is the idea right of the indwelling of the holy spirit that we receive but the baptism of the holy spirit is something that needs to be continuous ongoing so one more time right the beginning relationship with the holy spirit is put out in Greek phraseology as paracletus, parallel, parallel comforter, the one who comes alongside you and begins to guide you and steer you and bring you to Christ. So you didn't know the Lord. You weren't obedient to him, but something started to happen in your life. When was it? You know, a year ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, you were totally in rebellion to the Lord, but he curved you. He came alongside you, parallel to you, and through his comfort brought you into submission to the Lord. So the Holy Spirit was beside you at that point. The next relationship you had with the Spirit was when you broke and said, Okay, fine. I want the Holy Spirit inside me. I want to be born again, right? We we pray that prayer and say, come and live in my heart. We invite him in. So from parallel to us, this is what the scripture teaches. From parallel to us to inside us. And the term is en. And it sounds just like our word in. Right? It says in the Greek in. So it was beside you. Now it's in you. Okay? The baptismal is different. And that's the complete submersion into right? Think of it like a glass of water. That's the. It's, it's a poor illustration, but that's how I do it, right? You were in need and it was there, present. And maybe it even quenched your thirst a little until you finally came to the place and said, I got to have this like in me. I can't just be experiencing it sips at a time. So you gulped the whole thing down. Now it's in you. And then what did Jesus say, right? Torrents of living water that would flow out of you, right? So the plunging in of that pure sense of the Holy Spirit, like water, is a sense of no longer beside you, no longer even just in you. You're submerged in it. That's the baptismal, completely under. So now you can drink it. (laughs) Now you can bathe in it, cleansing you continuously, cooling comforting and even sharing pouring out of you we definitely we definitely need that continuously going on right a proof text there are many i would encourage you to write down ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 many of us tried to quench that need and that thirst with alcohol and drugs we desired something more than the mundane, everyday existence. And we tried to put that fire in our heart out with drugs, alcohol, relationships, money, other things. And they made us more and more thirsty, more and more longing. Regarding alcohol, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says, No longer be drunk with wine, wherein is a pouring out. Instead, be filled. So rather than pouring out losing diminishing be filled with the holy spirit and the phrase is be being filled with the holy spirit it isn't just one time go to the place get filled up right to the brim and then you know carefully walk through life without spilling any of the holy spirit it's the idea of it's it's very cliché uh, but the the hippies of the jesus movement said they wanted to be under the spout where the glory came out they wanted to stay in the place where the holy spirit was just continuously flowing into and out of and through this is what you need Uh, I, i mean it you guys it's very doctrinally important and practically important that you understand this Right? Because there are portions of Christianity that teach, nope, one time, went to that church, spoke in tongues, got filled up. There we go. We dry out. We run out. We leak out. We need the continuous filling. Why? Because it's not sourced from us. Right? It's flowing out of the Lord into us. Uh, we are cracked pots. Right? Can't retain this. It must be. The Lord continues. So moving on in verse 32. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one accord. So, multitude, very significant word, and we're going to see it a couple times. Multiple thousands. Okay? So, initially, 3,000. Secondarily, 2,000 added to them. More every day, right? Multitudes coming to them at the temple learning experiencing seeing the healer. they're growing leaps and bounds and it has nothing to do with church growth movement practices the holy spirit's accomplishing these things um you know, i uh, uh learning from uh, you know some of these other far more we would say successful and experienced pastors um chuck smith and uh Lewis Neely from um, Warehouse Ministries and and many others talking about in the early days where you know before it became thousands, it, it was one or two. And Lewis Neely from Warehouse Ministries, you know, confesses that uh, big warehouse rented going to be a mega church and uh, shows up and uh, and uh, he's praying and the Lord is saying like, well, what if multitudes don't show up? I mean do you agree that I have anointed you and called you and you're supposed to be obedient preach the word and yes and okay so uh what if what if what if you don't have 500 people I preach the word what if you what if you don't have 100 people preach the word. what if you don't have 25 people what if you what if you only have 5 people and Lewis is discouraged but you know, says obediently, you know, I I will preach the word. And he goes to that first Sunday and there are five people. Mm -hmm. And then he adds, and three of them were my family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, a little discouraging to say the least. And, uh, you know, he comes back the next week and the Lord's been saying similar things to him about, you know, what happens if there aren't throngs of people here? Are you? going to be obedient are you going to preach and you know the Lord whittles him down to where Lewis is hearing what if there are only three people and Lewis says "Uh, you know I'll be obedient and I'll preach and Lewis showed up and there were three people and he says and I was one of them and I had paid the other two and he was serious Right? And he preached the words, massive ministry today. Warehouse ministry is huge. Right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord working. Uh, you know, point being, if you've got one person listening to you that you're preaching to, that's one more than you deserve. Right? Why? Because you're a sinner just like them, saved by grace. Uh, so, you know, when we see multitudes, and, you know, there's a lot of people, especially in America today, that think, like, yeah, that's the type of church I want to be involved in. H- have you been in churches where there are multitudes? Because it's very difficult to connect with anyone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, can, you know, when you've been there for two and a half months and people are still introducing themselves to you like it's the first time you've ever been there. And you've seen that guy 25 times, and he comes up and says, Welcome, are you new? No, I've been here for months. You know, why? Because you're lost in a sea of faces. Right? The, the Lord does this, there's multitudes here. Uh, but the Western world Americanized church has this mentality that unless you have multitudes, you're not even successful. Right? When we sit in a small group Bible study like this, does it not penetrate our hearts very strongly? When we sit in a thronging mass, I don't know if you've ever been in church with my wife much, right? She's usually off serving somewhere else, but she likes to sit right in the front row. And some people have actually accused her of like she's doing that for recognition or something. Everywhere we go, she wants to sit in the front row. Why? Because she's that easily distracted. If she sits one row back, she's going to get 50% of the sermon. Because the, the row in front of her is going to you know, take her mind. Three rows back, she's getting, you know, 25%. If she's sitting in the back, like I like to do, as the criminal rebel that I used to be, you know, back of the bus, all the way, you know, next to the door type of thing, she doesn't get anything. I'm like, well, wasn't that great when he said such and such? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? Why? Because the mass that we're looking at very often is just a distraction. That's all it is to everyone that's there. Uh, Let the Lord bring us into the place. He goes, yeah, at times he does bring multitudes. Uh, You know, Calvary Chapel, big movement. Uh, Yeah, very big movement. 1,500 churches in the United States. Big movement. Okay, you know what the average size of Calvary Chapels is? By and large, right? Because there are some that are literally 30,000 people, if you can imagine that. Okay, massive. They're doing three and four services a Sunday and filling the auditorium. Three, 5,000 people, three and four times a day, and they're, they're sitting throngs of people outside. Huge numbers inside those. The average Calvary Chapel, less than 200 people. Less than 200 people. Which means you've got to average in those megachurches, which means a lot of them are 50 people. Okay, so as far as the Lord doing a great work, he is doing a great work, and it is widespread and it is very thorough, and it is very deep and rich in the word of God. But we don't want to trick ourselves into thinking like megachurch is the only way to go. That can be really, really, can be really, really dangerous for the church. Look at the scandals that are emerging one after another, amongst the megachurches. Tragic, heartbreaking to see these things. So multitudes, now multitudes of those who believed, were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and a great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any one among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as any one had need. So before we move on, um, Literally, there are those that try to preach some sense of Christian communism out of this. Let's all live communally. Let's all, you know, buy a piece of land and, you know... We won't let anybody in that's non-Christian and everyone will be Christian and we'll have Christian dogs and cats and Christian gardens and you know, it'll be just a man- Christian homes and Christian timber frames and Christian you know it just sounds good, right? But who, who's in charge? Right? You? Me? I think we're going to end up butting heads eventually. you understand what I'm saying? Because you're going to have different ideas, then the next person's going to have ideas. Why? Because we're human. And if no, different ideas aren't going to be allowed, then there's going to be a ruling class. And then there's going to be a servant class. Those that submit to the authorities that are over them. This never works. And it didn't work here. Okay? It happened... And for these people, it was wonderful for a short period of time because they had the mindset, the angels told us, Jesus ascended into heaven and he will be returning in like manner. So we're just going to hang out together for a little while and enjoy one another's company and then Jesus is going to come back and we're all going to leave together. So, who cares about bills? Who cares about property? Who cares? Let's just do continuous Bible study, fellowship dinner, worship session. This is what they did. Almost immediately, people surrounding the church went, Wait a minute. So, you guys just quit your jobs and live together? Yeah. Sign me up. Non believers stepped right in and started to mooch off the church and it destroyed this movement the lack of discernment on the part of the lead. this is his, history, church history okay this is a wonderful thing to read and what a blessing to think that this small group of people did this and experience, what what a joy that must have been right and to look at it it's an absolutely fantastic thing to look at but trust me, the honeymoon died quickly. Right? You can't look at this and say, let's model ourselves after that. It doesn't work. It does not work. Communism only fails 100% of the time. To hear these people in our culture that are preaching and promoting socialism, it, it, you know, there's a reason that they build walls around those countries. It's not to keep people out. It's to force people to stay and experience the blessing of socialism. Right? This that we have as a grand experiment here in this nation, right? of a free market society, you work hard, you will be rewarded well. That's actually God's plan that we would thrive under the strength and, interestingly, the sweat of our brow, right? Now, if you understand that to be the curse that came upon the Garden of Eden and you use your God-given brain and the strength of your person to overcome that sweat of your brow, that's also a God-given talent, right? Working smarter, not harder, right? That's something the Lord wants us to do. To deliver us from the stress and strain. Most of the innovations around the world came from Christianity. Most of them. You know, libraries and medical facilities, and the water pump and the wheel and the steel plow, all in an effort to create more and more comfort and ease for human beings. The great value of the human soul. Uh, The cultures that don't venerate uh, human beings being created in the image of God never pursued those things. Never, right? The few examples you find, right? The Chinese developing extensively writing and categorizing those writings into spinning libraries, you know, the, the categorized wheels, in a library that we see sometimes, so you you can just continue to move the next volume and the next volume into more and more, and everything is categorized into these numeric displays of wheels. They never read them. They understood organization, but they literally would sit in their lotus position as Buddhists, and they would spin the wheels of their libraries, As they prayed over them, hoping to absorb the wisdom from the volumes of the book. They never read them. They created the organization and never utilized it. Why? Because they didn't understand what God had put forth in the principles of wisdom and the pursuit of wisdom. Why? Because they weren't reading the word of God. They were not reading and absorbing the word of God. Eyeglasses, right? Created by Christian monks. Why? Because as these people get older, they have so much wisdom. And they need to continue to read in order to absorb and then impart that wisdom from the Bible and from the writings of their fellow monks. No other religious system did that in the world. In fact, as the Buddhist monks became more and more blind they did less and less to contribute to their society in any way. They just let their blindness encapsulate them and went to meditating where they weren't trying to fill their minds at all, right? Buddhist and Eastern meditation is about emptying the mind. Less and less until you're completely vacant. Uh, Often seeking to be filled by the spiritual entities in the ether. Let the demons come in, opening themselves up. And that's where a lot of the horrific teachings come in Eastern mysticism. You know, what the scripture has provided for us, you guys, is remarkable. Pursuant of all these other things, this is what our culture is doing right now. Emptying itself of Christianity, emptying itself of all of these developments, and moving towards destruction. Moving towards, hey, you think about this, the Old Testament saying, of the Lord, those that hate me love death. That's a terrible thought. Our culture more and more hates God. Hates Jesus Christ. Those who hate me love death. Th- think about how much, think about how many symbols of death, right? When, when I was young, you didn't see skull and crossbones everywhere right? You didn't see death and mayhem glorified. Think about how much it is today. Our culture has moved and there's been a paradigm shift away from life, away from God, into destruction, into death, into sinfulness. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know it, where we live and what we're experiencing. So, here they sell lands. You know, there's many things to examine. I'm not going to tear every nuance apart. Um, as we see Barnabas here in the next uh, selling land, it's important to understand that these are probably some of them foreigners, because you can't you can lease the land, right? As an Israeli, but the land has to revert back to the original ownership. So when we're talking about sales of land. We're talking about how far Christianity is touching hearts and minds. Uh, People are, you know, bringing what they have and selling and giving uh, to the Lord and to the body of Christ. It always stands out uh, to me in verse 33, and great grace was upon them all. If you're going to live with other sinners, even if they're saved by grace, you're going to have to be filled with grace, right? Because their flaws are going to be there. You're going to have to be a gracious, forgiving person all the time. You start living communally like this, the only way you're going to get along with people is through grace. I don't know how many times I've seen people uh, you know, within uh, you know, Christianity be like, Oh, I talk to brother so-and-so, and we're going to rent an apartment together. Praise God. Are you ready to be forgiving and gracious? <laughs> we're going to let brother so-and-so you know, live in a, the back room of our house. Great. That's wonderful. Are you ready to be gracious and forgiving? And is he ready to be gracious and forgiving? That's the only way the church survives. That's the only way we get along, is if we have this great sense of grace in our lives. That's that's what makes human relationships successful, is if you're ready to forgive me all the time, and I'm ready to forgive you all the time, right? if we are i am i'm really displeased i've said it before you've heard me i'm venting again Uh, this whole movement of discernment ministries drives me crazy these guys that are online and they've you know found something me or somebody else and they're like this guy's a total heretic he just said whatnot you know saying and that's i know that because i'm a discerning ministry and really what that means is they're just hypercritical of everything, you know. Because if we followed them around, you know, with the camera, what would we discover? Their shortcomings, their failures, their flaws. The the real lack of discernment is anyone who would be online and read that and think, "Oh, well, there's a genuine ministry." if they're being that uh, critical then pay attention right we all do need to know who the cults are who the false teachers are in order to guard the church but this whole attitude of like we're we're the best ministry and 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 the reason we know we're the best ministry is because we're the most critical of every other ministry Uh, it it isn't what the, the lord has called us to great grace is upon these caring for The great blessing within this is there are people who are slaves, literally, inside this picture. And there are also those who are slave owners from Rome inside this picture. And they're selling all they have and they're living together communally. No one has need of anything. Uh, That is a great sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. When people are genuinely concerned about one another's needs, watching paying attention, acting upon, and caring for one another. So, moving into verse 36, and uh, Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles. So his name is Joses, uh, but, uh, you know, the uh, apostles give him a nickname. uh, The nickname, which is translated, son of encouragement, right? Barnabas is just a dude who, you know, my, my wife is like this. She, she just, she has no negative filter on her lens at all. She just, you know, just doesn't matter. Some, something terrible could have just happened and she just always like, well, we probably don't know what was going on. You know, they probably have been going through terrible things. You know, she just, I'm immediately the skeptic. And that's because I was a class act jerk, and so I assume everyone else must have been. You know what I'm saying? And I have to constantly let my wife and the Holy Spirit cleanse me of that mindset. You know, she, you can't get her. I mean, the only way you'll get her to think negative about a circumstance or a person is if you really prove it to her. And then she immediately goes to, well, that might be true, but if only this had happened, then it wouldn't have been like that. You know, she's got this encouragement. She's got this constant, if nothing else, right, she's got Bambi and Thumper mentality of if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. She's She's got this nailed down. Uh, so here, Barnabas is this way. He's a son of encouragement. You hang out with this guy? You know, this is the guy you want on the suicide hotline all the time. People call in and he's just going to, you know, talk them into a positive mindset. He encourages people. Look, that is a great example. Forget what else we're about to see. Just the fact that he is stuck on the positive, that he is continuously helpful along with this. If you jump over to Acts chapter 11, when you have time later, this is the guy who the apostles say, hey, you know, that Paul guy who used to be called Saul of Tarsus, the Lord converted him and he's doing powerful stuff and would be really useful in the church. And Barnabas is like, well, I'll go get him. What? You know what I'm saying? Uh, You're going to risk your life to go get a guy that has murdered Christians. And he's like, sure, I'm positive that he's been converted. You know what I'm saying? He's got that attitude. Had he not gone and gotten Paul and brought him into the ministry, uh, we wouldn't have the book of the Bible we're reading right now. We wouldn't have, uh, depends on how you look at it, we definitely would not have one-third of the New Testament If you include Hebrews, which I do, you wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament. And so much Christian doctrine, right? Barnabas, responsible for, I'll go get Paul. And all the apostles are like, yeah, yeah, you go get him. (laughs) That is a good idea. You know, he's such an example uh, within uh, the body of Christ, within Our faith. So, Barnabas, uh, called Barnabas by the Apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite, a Levite, part of the priesthood. And now he's dedicated himself. Apparently, he hasn't committed himself to the priesthood, and we see a couple things about that as we go along, but he had the rights to the priesthood because of his lineage. Uh, So, here uh, he's a son of encouragement, a Levite. Of the country of Cyprus, right, he's not actually living in residence in Israel. So he's come to Jerusalem, and he's probably experienced each of the holy days in in obedience to the scripture. So he's Jewish both by lineage and in a sense that religiously he is, but he's of the country of Cyprus. And that's what I'm pointing out about the sale of property. So so he has the right to sell property in Cyprus and collect the entire sum and deliver it to the apostles. So he could have done that with a lease uh inside Israel and that's possible but he would have been responsible to hold that money so that if the person comes at any point and says I want to cancel the lease he has he has the obligation to pay them back. So Uh, Land sales in Israel really is land leasing. And uh, there was a whole legal requirement for how they conducted themselves within it. What we see here described of sales of property is the outright sales and the bringing of money. So uh, he's of Cyprus having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, As a pastor, uh, there's something that I want to say within this that is important both for church leadership and those in attendance at any church. Um, If we are bringing money to uh, the church, uh, and how about I, I even put it a different way, if we're bringing anything to the church and we're giving it over to the church, it's much better to deal with that in your heart, with the Lord first, so that when you give it over, you you very much have the concept of I'm giving this to the Lord. What I have witnessed on a handful of occasions is never here, but in other set. And I do I don't just say that tongue in cheek. I've never experienced it here, but in other ministries I have worked in, I have seen people come and bring it, and then they're murmuring and complaining because. Uh, it didn't get used the way they wanted it to get used, right? You know, I, I've witnessed people bring a vehicle and give a vehicle to the church, and the church said, wonderful, thank you very much. And then they gave the vehicle to a missionary family, and they're, like, uh, bugged. We wanted that used by the church. We we wanted that that vehicle rolling around here so people could see that vehicle, and we would be able to say we gave that vehicle Uh, to the church and were bugged by the fact. Did you give it to the Lord? Or or was that, in fact, a form of advertisement (laughs) for yourself, right? I gave it so that the arrow would point back at me, right? My suspicion is that the leadership of that church is unaware and the Holy Spirit actually inspired them to give it away. Not to spite you so that you would get 100% of the reward. Because if you're getting recognition, then you're ripping yourself off. (laughs) Give it to the Lord and let it be that way. If the church has a specific need and they ask and you respond and you're going to build a radio tower or you're going to whatever you're going to do, then wonderful. Great. And and it's wonderful when that works out. Uh, But much better to just if you've heard from the Lord, just give it over. Just let the Lord have it. If they're doing something wrong with it, guess what? You still get the reward. Right. They get the punishment. They get the correction. But you get the full reward. Not a single penny is lost from your effort, from your contribution, from your financial giving, nothing. Uh, So there's there's something in this that's a very powerful lesson. They come, they bring the wholesome, and they just lay it at the apostles' feet. Um, Part of that is about uh, examining those who are your spiritual leadership, right? Right? Because if you're looking on and thinking, well, I'd like to do that, but I don't know if I can trust this guy. Then you shouldn't be following them. You probably need to find someone somewhere else to be where your heart can fully trust, where you can fully give that over, knowing these people are trustworthy in their service to the Lord. Uh, Let the Lord minister to you in that. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. Now, I just want to make the point right there. Sometimes the Lord does have certain people that do bad things within the church that get put on the record as doing bad things for and to the church so that the church will remember their names and their failures. Certain people do bad things, and good-beating people act like we should never mention those people or their failure again. Sounds gracious. Sometimes it's required, not always, right? We don't have a wall of shame where we post people's names. But there are circumstances where people do horrible things that the church needs to be aware of so that they don't follow those examples. They don't behave in similar ways. Uh, this, This is a very serious event. Much more serious than a lot of people take into consideration sometimes. So uh, Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? That gives me chills. Judas Satan putting thoughts into his heart and mind. Then we see Satan entering him as he goes to betray Jesus Christ. Here, Satan putting these thoughts in Ananias and Sapphira's heart and mind. That, that gives me the willies. Right. No? Uh, okay, maybe I'll examine this too closely. But uh, have you ever been shocked by your own thoughts? Okay. Have you ever said, where in the world did that come from? It's so dark that you're left in wonder. Listen, don't wonder very long. Be as afraid of it as you should be. Run into the presence of your Heavenly Father. Right then, open the book, start to read, start to pray, turn the lights on, and start to sing. Songs of worship, and stay in that mode until it's gone. James, the book of James, right? Draw near to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The church often just teaches, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know about you, but I've tried that, and he doesn't he doesn't i go that's a horrible thought that's terrible wow Wow. the next one's even worse and oh my goodness and you know three days later when you've sunk into a pit people around you are going what is wrong with you why The heart and mind, whether it be from the devil or not, right? I'm not trying to scare us with the boogeyman because here's the truth of the matter. Our own heart can generate some really wicked stuff all on its own. If you recognize the wickedness, run into the arms of your heavenly father. More than anything, you guys, open the book and don't stop reading until it is gone. Gone. I've spent many days shutting everything down and reading the book until I fell asleep and wake up and the thoughts there again and go right back to the word and just stay, stay until the Lord has expelled my flesh, the demonic, whatever it is, (laughs) right? Because I can't contend with it. I don't have the spiritual strength. I don't have the wherewithal to deliver myself from those things. Only Christ can do that. Hey, you gotta you gotta open the door to Christ in order for that to happen. You can't sit around and study your own internals and be delivered. Uh, the man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, right, and rages against all sound judgment. Tell me how black the pit of your own heart is. Sink and sink and sink, you know. People use that term and it's false. Oh, they've reached rock bottom. There's no rock bottom, right? I've got a drilling machine where I can bore so far into, you know, it's just not, there's no rock bottom. You know, what you'll finally do, if you go far enough, is burst through into the bottomless pit. The abyss don't want to. Been there. Experienced the blackness. Been there for long periods of time and experienced the blackness. People have thrown me life rings and medication and all kinds of stuff years ago. I know the rescuer. I know the redeemer. Christ alone is what will deliver us from the Satan has filled your heart. To lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your uh, uh, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Boy, there's a lot of doctrine tied up in all of that. You know, lying to the Holy Spirit, lying to God, making God and the Holy Spirit equal and one, right? Lying to the leadership of the church, the influence of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You know, possession uh, of money and material uh, tied up in this. You don't have to give everything to God, right? You sell, you have, you want to do. You have the right and blessing under God to keep whatever portion you desire. What is it tied up in this jealousy Barnabas just gave? Oh, look at the recognition that guy got. They wrote his name down in the word of God. I want that too. And so I'm going to pretend that I'm as committed to the Lord as Barnabas. Look, you look over at the person who's given their whole life to serving the Lord and they're getting recognition And think, I want that. So you act like you're giving it all. The Lord is very pleased with you and I. When we go to work and we punch in and we earn a living and we share our faith with our co-workers. And we take a portion out of our earnings and we give it to the Lord. He's very blessed by that. Right? That steady giving to the Lord is a profound blessing to the church. To the Lord and to the person who's giving, right? A cheerful giver. The Lord loves a cheerful giver if they're giving a very small portion or they're giving everything. God does not require that you give everything, right? Uh, The thing that he does despise is hypocrisy and jealousy, and that's what fuels this circumstance right here. These people are jealous of the recognition that Barnabas has received. And out of hypocrisy, they try to imitate him. Listen, I have watched, and I'll say this, I have watched many men do this. Where when they come to church, they act like I'm giving it all to Christ. And then when you get a glimpse into their life, you realize they're not at all. And that creates conflict within their marriage so they have arguments with their wife where they convince her you make sure that you just act like in front of everybody else that I am giving it all poison your wife to death with your own hypocrisy and your own failures it's treacherous it's treacherous much better to just be honest about where you're at right? I'm struggling I'm having a difficult time please pray for me much better to just be honest, than to act like you're Joe religious, when in fact we're not, right? Uh, We need to be real. These people demonstrate jealousy and hypocrisy and how destructive it is. You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Wow. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, not even those who witnessed it, just those who heard. Yeah, I would imagine so. This this will give you, you know, the willies. This will make the hair stand right up on the back of your neck. Uh, Somebody lied in this way and was struck dead. Continue with the circumstance here uh, great fear came upon all those who heard these things and the young men arose and wrapped him up carried him out and buried him which is jewish practice then and even in many cases to this day to bury the individual who's passed away within 24 hours right in the ground in the grave uh, finish uh, the process now it was about three hours later when his wife came in not knowing what had happened. No social media, right? And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sowed the land for so much. Listen, there are critics of our faith that somehow see a deception in that. Why, Why wasn't Peter forthright and honest, okay? He's inviting confession. The Lord shows up in the garden and says to Adam and Eve, where are you? He knows where they are. Right? He is omniscient. Then he asks the question Have you eaten of the tree? He knows they've eaten of the tree. What's going on? God wants confession. And, and we've talked about confession a few times recently, right? Homologio. To say the same thing. Right? God calls it a sin. We say, not a sin, it's an illness. Not my fault. I have an illness. You know, drunkenness, drug addiction. It's not, it's not my fault. I have an illness. It's not what the Lord says, right? I'm not saying the same thing he does. He's inviting confession. And very often that's where people find their first deliverance from those habits is when they finally say what the Lord is saying about those things, right? Depression, the dark thoughts, all that I described earlier. And I'll talk with anyone at length about the things I've experienced in the Lord's deliverance. I'll say this. This may sting a little bit if you struggle with these things. The center of that, for me, I suspect everyone, selfishness. Selfishness. I'd like to blame everybody else on the planet. Why don't they pay attention to me? Why don't they care for me? Why don't they love me? Why don't they do for me? Why don't I do all those things? Why don't I empty myself like Christ did and serve others and find my fulfillment in that? Okay. There's some serious stuff to consider. When I start saying the same thing the Lord is saying, I start finding deliverance. I find it possible to repent, right? Metanoia, to turn the mind around. To go the opposite direction that I'm presently going. When I homologeo say the same thing he's saying, right? This is selfishness. Oh, why don't I serve others? Now I'm thinking opposite of what I was. And now I'm doing opposite of what I was. I find deliverance in it. Here he's inviting confession. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And you've got to know this guy is just in his heart and mind begging Tell us the truth. Right? Why? Because Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so therefore he has the heart of God. And what does Peter himself write to us and tell us that God is not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance and all would experience salvation. That's the heart of God. So you know it's the heart of Peter right here. Tell me the truth is what he's asking. Confession. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. I suspect that Peter was immediately like, darn it. (laughs) It's not the answer I was wanting, not what I was hoping for. I think there's a heartbroken tone. I don't think there's the tone of an arresting officer in the following words. I think there is is sadness and mourning when he says uh, to her, how is it? That you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Listen. This is a billboard in church history for the church. God uses Ananias and Sapphira to tell the church how deadly and how dangerous jealousy and hypocrisy are in the church, right? We look out at the world and we go, "Oh, abortion." And we, "Oh, drug addiction." "Oh, all these terrible things we see going." On. Those are terrible. Look within the church. Stand the mirror up. The you know, well, why doesn't God do the same thing today? Do you know how many people would be dead in the church? Right? i got to put myself in this crowd. It's not my continued present existence, but I know for certain I've been that false. Christ is saying to us right now, very graciously, not going to strike you dead. I did it to show you how deadly and dangerous this is. Right? There's a lot of, it's weird to say, a lot of Christian zombies walking around. They declare themselves Christian, but they're totally spiritually dead because of the compromise in their lives. We need truth and sincerity. The church needs this. This is is one of those things that's very easy to just ding across the top of the story and everybody just kind of goes, "Whoa, that's heavy, and moves on. There's got to be self-examination in this. This is got you got to give permission to let this bore down into the center of your soul. Right, uh, the man who hides his sin will not prosper. The scripture tells us, the man who hides his sin will not prosper. So many people, right? And, and prosperity, you gotta you gotta weigh that out, right? Because some people, right, big home, cars, kids college, boat, whatever. But then you find out that they're suicidal. They hate life. You find the other Christian who's meager and small and poor and humble, but truthful and honest, and they're filled with joy and happiness and fulfillment. Why? Sincerity, truthfulness, no hypocrisy, no compromise. It It is, you guys, we, we poison ourselves to death. Christ wants fulfillment. Christ wants graciousness. Christ wants us to experience his kingdom. And as long, as long as we're going to function in any sense of this, it's detrimental. What you really need to hear, right, because that just, if, if all we do is, man, man, my, my wife has a makeup mirror, right? Many ladies do, you know. That thing is so cruel. It's just incredible. It's just every, you know, magnified, convex, turn that thing around and stare. And you're just like, oh, my word. How am I alive? You know what I'm saying? It just it tells you the truth in just such brutal fashion. It's really amazing. You know, we don't like to stare not closely at ourselves. We don't want to look into our own soul. Why? Uh, you guys, if we would spiritually do these things, the fulfillment, the beauty that comes out of that, the deliverance that comes out of it, that's what Christ wants. If you're staring at this passage, if you're staring at what's going on here and, you're, and your heart is deeply convicted and you're thinking like, that's just that's just painful and cruel. That's not the Lord's intention at all. The Lord's intention with that great accuracy is to say, I want to deliver you from this. I want you to experience the freedom. I want you to be Barnabas. I want you to be the son or the daughter of encouragement. Christ can do these things. Christ can accomplish these things. I, uh, I read a quote by Alan Redpath uh, this morning, and um, I, I, it's for another sermon I'm preparing, and um, I don't have it with me. But it essentially says, no matter how black or deep or dark the hole you have penetrated yourself into, it can never exceed the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He will find you there. He will deliver you from that, right? We, we get this sense of the habit is so strong, so long, so powerful. I will never find deliverance. That's a lie. It's a lie from our enemy. Christ wants to deliver us. He wants to fulfill us. The condemnation comes from our own heart, comes from our enemy, right? Condemnation, conviction will come from the Holy Spirit, conviction, but conviction restores. It's an invitation, much as Peter's invitation, to confess and repent. Let Christ be your deliverer. Amen? Amen. Let's take this example that's set before us and understand what the Lord desires from these things. So, uh, that's uh, the time we have for uh, this evening, uh, why don't we stand and we'll pray and ask the Lord to minister to us? Father God, we are very grateful for your love and your graciousness in our lives, and Lord, uh, We don't need a show of hands in this room. Each of us knows what degree of Ananias and Sapphira lives in our own heart. Lord, help us. Help us to be men and women that embrace that concept. That you want to deliver us. That you're working in us to accomplish your desires, Lord. We want your will. We want your desire done in our lives. Help us to submit to you. Help us with every passing day to be more like your son and less like ourselves. Fill us with that Holy Spirit. Wash these things out of our lives, our hearts, our souls, our minds. Make us more and more useful to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.